Our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I am appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed into your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the children of, king, of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And we can... Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You wake up, or perhaps you do this in the evening, doesn't matter. But you check the news, and you think, it can't get any worse, can it? And then you check the news and you think, but somehow it did. It seems like every time you check the news, it gets more evil. There's more wickedness on display. And that week in and week out, maybe you'll have some lulls, but it seems, at least to us, that things indeed are getting worse. That evil is on every hand. St. Anthony the Great said, A time is coming when men will go mad, and when they see someone who is not mad, they will attack him, saying, You are mad, you are not like us. And it does indeed seem like the world has gone mad with evil. That whether it's the created order, 
the way God tells us things really are, the way reality actually is, whether it's God's holy law or his holy gospel, it seems like evil is attacking all of those things each and every day. So as you look around these things, I have a question for you. How does it make you feel? I know we're Lutherans, we don't talk a lot about our, our feelings. But how does that make you feel when you read these things? What do you think? Our Lord gives us this evening the parable of the weeds to help us as we face such evil. And with his first telling of it, the focus is, it will be different. But for now, you've got this, as our Lord teaches us patience. And in the interpretation, he actually has a slightly different focus, which is kind of weird for the parables, but he does here. In the interpretation, he, he gives you a message to assure and steady you in hope as your patience. Let's consider these things as we look in detail at the parable of the weeds. So we had last week the gospel reading, and Pastor Walter preached on it Wednesday night, the parable of the sower, right? The seed is sown by the Lord. We heard that. And he has this crop growing up. Here in our parable in Matthew 13, the devil comes in at night, and he sows as well. He sows an evil crop. And what happens is, and people focus, I think, sometimes on the wrong things here. There's nothing about the sleeping that really matters. That's just opportunity for the enemy to come in. It's actually, by the way, if you're, that's kind of interesting. Roman law talked about this very situation. Someone coming into your field and sowing tares among the wheat. It was on the law books. How often it happened, I don't know, but that's what Jesus is getting at. But as the tares grow up, the problem is not that you don't recognize the tares. Notice the workers say, he sowed tares. The problem is, this tear, probably the darnel plant, when it starts to grow, its roots intertangle with the roots of the weeds. So if you go to pull up that tear, you're going to kill the wheat. And so the master says, don't do that yet. Hold on. You need to wait. If you do that now, it'll mess everything up. But hold on, at the harvest, it'll all be fixed. It'll all be set right. It will be different. But for now, this is what you get. Bernard of Cluny has a great hymn, which in our current hymnal is divided up into a, a few different hymns. The world is very evil, is the first line. Even in our epistle lesson that's appointed for tonight that we'll look at in detail on, on Wednesday, in Romans 8, it says, even creation itself, creation itself groans. It groans under the weight of the evil and wickedness of this world. It groans, it longs for redemption. Even creation. It sees how wicked things are and it groans under the weight of sin. Sometimes the question will come up as you look at these things, well, is it more evil now than even perhaps maybe in the days of Noah? I don't know how helpful it is to try to compare always, but we can at least say it's quite wicked right now. Things are quite evil. And there are unique ways and new ways which that wickedness is showing itself in our day and age. We can at least say 
It's very evil. And the point of Jesus telling us, before he gives explanation, is it's going to be that way to the end. You're in this for the long haul. The world being evil is not going anywhere. You must have patience. Why? Well, consider 2 Peter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The church is growing. The wheat is growing. The sower is sowing a seed. And there is a harvest that's going to come. But in the meantime, our Lord is busy planting and saving souls. In fact, Peter's response is an answer to those mocking Christians. Where is your Lord now? Why hasn't he come to save you yet? And Peter says, the Lord's patience. If a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, then it's been like two days since Jesus was on earth. It's the way our Lord counts time. It hasn't been very long. And he is content to be patient. And he wants us to be as well. And yet, perhaps somewhat ironically, our struggle is with the fact that our Lord's patient. <laughs> because we look at the world and we look at how evil it is and we think, what are you waiting for? So we have some temptations with this. The first temptation I would say is fear. We look at the evil going on around us, and it makes us afraid. We wonder what it's going to be like for us, for our kids, for our grandkids. The evil all around can make us fear. It can make us angry. We can think that we ought to judge and take care of this evil, perhaps even thinking that we can bring righteousness through our anger and we can make it right. And the Lord says, no, you can't. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's what our Lord tells us in the book of James. So too, we can become overwhelmed to the point of inertia. We just want to bury our heads and pretend none of it's going on. We're just going to not look. If we don't look, if we don't read, if we don't pay attention, it's not there. We're just going to be blind to it all. Or worse yet, we can despair. We can think, maybe they're right. Maybe Jesus isn't going to set all this right. Maybe the devil is stronger than our Lord's. And then we lose all hope. See, Jesus tells us this parable because he doesn't want that to happen. He knows the danger of apostasy, of abandoning the faith, is real. It happens for a variety of reasons. And one of those is people look at the evil in the world and say... He doesn't seem to care. I give up. It's interesting, Jesus here and throughout the New Testament talks more about the reality of hell than anyone else in the Bible. Because he wants to warn us so that we repent. Including of our fear, our anger, our burying our heads and our despair. But Jesus doesn't want you just to be patient. 
wants you to be patient in a certain way. He wants you to be patient in hope. And so he explains the parable. He says, look, the field is the world's. And the church is in the world, so in a sense the church is included in this. And as we look around as the church, we see that indeed things are quite evil. And our Lord tells us to be patient, but he focuses here on judgment day. Which seems a little strange. Why? I think Psalm 73, which Pastor Walter quoted for you last Sunday, gives us the answer. Pastor Walter quoted the end of that psalm, the beautiful comforting words, whom have I in heaven but you, and there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's beautiful. It's comforting. But how did Asaph get there? The psalm starts with Asaph, Asaph saying, I almost abandoned the faith. I almost gave up. Why? He looked around, and the evil were prospering. They had more money than him. They had better food than him. He was suffering, and he said, if I'm going to suffer and they're going to be well, I might as well abandon the faith. But then Asaph says, I'm going to paraphrase. Then I went to church. I went into the Lord's house. And when I went into the Lord's house, it gave me a different perspective on everything. Because he saw the end of the wicked. He saw that there was a day coming when the Lord was going to set everything right. Everything. All evil and wickedness would be dealt with on that day. And when he saw that, he knew that he had hope. That he may be suffering here and now, but what he had for all eternity was far greater. That's how he got to those verses we heard a moment ago in last week. He was wrestling. He was struggling with evil in the world. You've done it too. Remember a few years ago, if you remember, I won't say his name, the doctor in Philadelphia who was just butchering babies in the womb, right? It was big news. He was making a million dollars a year. A million a year. Can you imagine? A million a year to do such wicked work. And you think, I struggled to pay the bills. That's what the psalmist was thinking. Here I am struggling, and look at people like that. And by and large, they seem to get away with it. So Jesus gives us an interpretation focused on judgment day itself, because he wants to assure and steady us that he is coming to set things right. The wickedness and evil you see around you does not last for all eternity. Jesus is going to come and rescue his people. He will make all things right. So he gives us to us to give us hope. Well, how do we know he's going to come through on this? Well, look, you know, you know that Jesus lived for you. You know that he died for you and your sins and your salvation, that he rose again for your justification, that you may be declared forgiven. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns over all things, even at this moment, for the good of the church, for your good. If he's doing all of that now, you can trust him for what he's going to do then. And even right now, part of his patience that we talked about earlier, Jesus is still sending forth his word. Jesus is still bringing up a harvest of wheat. Jesus still can change tares into wheat. His word has that power. 
So he gives you his word too to sustain and steady you. He is coming again. He will reap the harvest. He will make all things right. He is do exactly what he promised. And so we have hope. Even creation itself, Romans 8 says, it groans in hope. So too we have hope. So the difference between faith and hope can get tricky, but it's, it's pretty straightforward. We have faith for the things present, the things now, the things you're receiving right now in this service. You have faith in those things. Hope is future-oriented. Hope looks out and says, he's faithful today, and he's going to fulfill his promise tomorrow, and the next day, and at the end of all things. Well, how then should we live in such an evil world? Well, with patience and hope. What does that look like? It's important before we say anything else, though, that all of this that I'm going to say is grounded in being here in the divine service. Because we first receive from our Lord, as we heard a couple weeks ago, not just rest, but we receive that which sustains us to go out into an evil and wicked world. So that we can complete the tasks set before us. One of the very first things, and we've been seeing a lot about it, is prayer. But one of the ways you pray when you're faced with evil is what the Bible calls Psalms of Lament. You look at what's going on in the world, and it's evil and wicked, and you look at what's in the promises of God, and they don't seem to match up, and so you go to the Lord and lament. You say, why, O Lord? How long, O Lord? When, O Lord? That is not a sign of unbelief. To go to the Lord with that kind of prayer is a sign of faith. Because you're going to the one who can do something about the evil and wickedness. So you go to him and cry out, and you pray about the evil. That's something you can actually do about it. You can pray about it. And that includes intercessory prayer, prayer on behalf of others. Remember Abraham, when he heard Sodom and Gomorrah going to be destroyed. Lord, what if there's 50 people? Okay, there's not 50. What if there's 40 what if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? Because he was hoping Lot's family at least would be righteous. But there weren't even 10. Lot and a small part of his family escape, but everything else is destroyed. But we can be like Abraham and pray for others. The prayers that we pray, both corporately and individually, address these things. Our, power, our prayers are powerful, in the face of evil. Rise to arms with prayer, employ you. And flowing out of our prayer for others then too, we go to the tares and we share the Holy Gospel that can make them wheat. Knowing that our Lord alone can save them out of their own evil and wickedness. And as you go from this place into the world, you have a longing then for home. Right? You've had a foretaste here of heaven and what you're going to experience there, and you think, I want that. Well, that doesn't mean, though, that we who have this foretaste and are longing for a future home whose builder is God, that we just say, well, this doesn't matter. No, all that we do, yes, even politics, can be done to the glory of God and for the love of our neighbor. to exercise patience and wisdom and hope as we wait for our Lord's return 
We want to make things as good as possible for us and our neighbors. And you're already doing this. As you are faithful in the small things God has given you day in and day out, you may not change the world, but God hasn't given you to do that. But you may have a huge impact on all of those around you. Oftentimes, I talk to shut-ins, and they say things like, they feel useless. They have no purpose anymore. And I'll often ask them, do you pray? And I say, well, yeah, I pray. I write letters. I do things like that. I'm like, well, thanks be to God. You have no idea how much good the Lord can use your prayers to do in this world. You have more time to pray than others. The letters you're writing to others, they may bless people in ways you can't even possibly imagine. Think about the book of Ruth. Have you ever thought about that book? It's weird. There's no miracles. There's no battles. Nothing exciting happens in the entire book. And yet, and yet, David's grandfather is born at the end of it. How does that come about? Ruth and Boaz are faithful to the little things God has given them to do, and God uses it to bring about the messianic line. It's amazing. It's astounding. C.S. Lewis quotes someone saying, you build your altar where you are at, and you trust God to send the fire. And if he chooses not to send the fire here on your altar, but to someone else's, thanks be to God for that. In other words, you're faithful where you're at, and you trust God for the results. Briefly, two more people that give us a glimpse of what this looks like. Noah. The Bible tells us he's a preacher of righteousness as he's being mocked as he's building the ark. As he's in an extremely wicked world. What does he do? He hears the word of the Lord and he trusts him. There's no water and yet he builds this massive ark. He does what God gave him to do day in and day out. We're considered lots in 2 Peter 2 brings both of these two together for us. And Peter says, the Lord delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed, the King James says, vexed, by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to night by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Do you not feel that way sometimes? You're oppressed by this. You're weighed down. But what does it say? We see how he delivered Lot, then we know the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of their trials. Look to Ruth, look to Noah, look to Lot. And you will see that God will not let you down. His hope will not disappoint. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It will be like this now. But one day, It'll be different. Jesus, through his word, gives you the hope and the assurance to steady you that you might endure. Amen. The peace of God which passes on our standing guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.